Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Still fighting that cold. Still fighting that cold. So <coughs> might have a little bit of a cough here now and then. Uh, but, Bruce, that was a fun game. It was a, what a difference a night makes. Just, just as the Oilers got dominated in Dallas, they totally dominated that game, which was a little closer than the 5-3 the five, five, score indicated with the goal, the fifth goal coming into an empty netter. The Oilers really, really put the boots to Arizona in that game. The grade A shots were 26 to 9, were they, by uh, by our count? Yep. 26. 26 is uh, a lot. 26 is a lot of grade A shots. You're That's Swiss cheese territory for Arizona. And the, they were held in by some good goaltending tonight by, uh, is it Scott Wedgwood? Is that his name? Uh, his name is Scott Wedgwood, and he was uh, fantastic in this game. Yeah, he was. Sensational. He made a lot of really good saves. He did indeed, Bruce. So let's do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers, and we'll double up on the good things because that's just the kind of night it was. What's right. your good thing? Well, I'm going to cheat and lump these together. We could have picked all these guys, I suppose, but Edmonton's first line really took this game by the throat and didn't let down um, and just dominated to the point of... Uh, uh, 11 points among the three of them, uh, two goals, two assists, two primary assists for Leon Dreisaitl, two goals, two assists for Connor McDavid, one goal, two assists for Zach Cassian, uh, with one of those goals being a power play goal that uh, he wasn't on the ice for. Um, but uh, uh, I thought Dreisaitl in particular um, just raised his game. He was a little sluggish to start. And then a little bit of cheap shottery started happening. And he started to respond both physically and by just simply taking over. Uh, he got hacked down a couple of times. That was pretty surprising. There was no call. Like eventually, he did draw one penalty. Um, but he really responded when uh, Arizona defenseman, uh, which guy was it? Uh, Getting there. Had a funky name. They, had, yeah, they all have funky names. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he, when McDavid scored the tying goal on the power play, he jammed it in. And the defender, Ilya Liubushkin from Arizona, oh, right. there we go, uh, rammed McDavid c- collarbone first into the net and just about dislodged the net by basically firing McDavid into it. And Leon was the closest oiler to the scene, and he did exactly what I, for one, as a fan, always want to see the closest oiler to a scene of a crime do, and that's just wade in there and not ask any questions and uh, challenge the guy physically, which he did. Uh, No penalty was forthcoming, and uh, at least they didn't call one on the oilers for... for, uh, um, standing up, but from that moment, even as the power play tied the game, at that moment, that that line took over the hockey game, especially at even strength, and Arizona had no answers for them. You know, among them, I mentioned the 11 points, among them, uh, they had 20 shots on net. Uh, 
Leon wow. had eight, Connor seven, Zach five. And it was uh, uh, for Cassian, uh, offensively at least, a reawakening. Uh, that was, I mean, he'd gone 10 games without a single point. And all of a sudden you put him with those guys. Well, he gets a point by standing in front of the net and having the puck hit him and bounce to uh, dry saddle or puts her home, you know. On his regular home on the third line, the puck could hit him and bounce to whoever, and he wouldn't put it home. And that's kind of the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cassian was full value for uh, um, uh, the points that he got later, uh, especially the uh, uh, the goal that he scored, uh, where he, you know, and he got robbed, absolutely robbed twice by Wedgwood. Cassian did. He, he could have had a hat trick in that game fairly easily. Uh, but he did manage one where he hammered a one-timer, and Wedgwood still got a piece of it, but it managed to go overpower him and and uh, find a corner of the net. Uh, so he had it uh, he had it going on, uh, skating and getting, you know, five shots, three <coughs> missed shots, but zero hits from Cassian. And, and you know, there's still, I, I still have issues with him in the defensive zone, but uh, he, he, uh, uh, he responded to the uh, challenge that uh, was given him tonight to to uh, uh, work out with the two big boys, and you you know you can't argue with a goal and two assists. And as for McDavid, I mean he scored the uh, the one one goal, he scored the empty netter, and in between times he was just all over the uh, all over the puck, all over the play, distributing the puck, skating circles around them, and he did respond physically. After taking that hit, he had, uh, he had, sorry, six shots for McDavid, not seven. Nuge had seven. It was one of those kind of games. Six shots, three hits for McDavid. And so he, uh, uh, he was uh, um, a, a physical force in this game. And I thought they, well, basically the big two really raised all aspects of their game from, from late in the first period. And then finally they score on the power play to make it 4-1 and Jack Michael says, well, that should do it. And everybody's thinking, well, that should do it. And then Leon and Connor go and sit down on the bench for a well-deserved rest. And by the time the rest is over, they're back on the ice defending a one-goal lead again. So I will get to our bad things. We'll get to that later. But uh, it was was, uh, um, nothing to do with them, those goals against. And they... they, uh, um, they they really did have a fantastic game playing against playing against a weak team. Let's face it, Arizona was overwhelmed in this game for for large part. Yeah. They just did not handle the two of them together. And I think Tippett's strategy was they won't be able to handle the two of them together. So I'm just going to put the two of them together. Uh, yeah, Vice <laughs> Idol had uh, 15 great major contributions. Oh, 15. 15. Oh. I don't think that's a record. I think we might have had 16. Uh, McDavid 13, Cassian 7, and Cassian, of course, didn't play the power play like the other two guys. So that was just a, that was as dominating a performance from a line as we've seen all year in that game. And it, and it segues, Bruce, into my good thing. Yep. Just because when I, when, as soon as I saw the lines tonight, I was thinking, oh, shit. What is he doing putting Cassian with yep. McDavid and Dreisaitl? And I was thinking, ah, oh, these lines, I, you know, I was 
sit muttering about them and pull the RV on the third line. And I bet you there was lots of people on Twitter saying the same thing. I haven't had a look, but I bet you there was lots of criticism. But was I ever wrong? So uh, the coach shook up the lines and he just, it just, it worked out. Every line was really good until the last five minutes of the game. Every line was really, really good. I mean, that's how you get 26 to nine and grade A shots in a game. Mm -hmm. When every line is performing, including the fourth line, you know, that fourth line was, was having their best game. Yep. Until the, right near the end of the game. So, um, you know, Benson and Sevier, the tourists was having a good game. They all were playing well. And, and so credit to the coach for Mm -hmm. coming up with the winning formula against Arizona. And I also liked another move that happened later in the game. We've talked about how Evan Bouchard's been struggling and, and in, in, in his first 10 games, he led, he led, he made a major mistake on 1.2, uh, grade a shots per game. 1.2 in his last eight, Bruce, it's been four per game. Four major mistakes. Now that that there was ten in one game, and this is all at even strength. So it was, you know, it was really impacted by two games. One there was he had a ten one game where he made ten major mistakes, which is like so bad. It's that's such a crazy number in a game. It's almost unbelievable, but it happened. They ended in a game with six. So a lot of those came in two games. But he has been struggling on defense, and tonight he finally uh, stepped up. He had a really good game uh, in lesser minutes. And but nonetheless, his coach showed that confidence in him to put him out there when they're protecting a lead at the end of the game. And I really liked it. I mean, mm-hmm. he had played well. He had played conservatively. He he hadn't made many mistakes and mm-hmm. um, many mistakes, period, let alone on grade A shots. And uh, he came through for them uh, at the end of the game, just like he did all game long. So some great work there by the Oilers coaching staff and shaking things up and getting the right line combinations. So, yeah, like, he didn't, Lagesson for sure wasn't out there at the end of the game. That was his partner for, uh, no, for most it of the was, game, it but it was Russell, Russell. eh? Yeah. yeah, it was Chris Russell and Bouchard, which is like, whoa, that's really interesting. I wouldn't, you know, I would have had Cody Cece out there with Chris Russell, um, for sure. But they, they were start, and it paid off, so... Um, that if it works, it works. And, and it has to help Bouchard's confidence to be out there. You know, a player whose confidence was was suffering. That that was a that was a really uh, that was a strong move by the coaches, I think. So, what's your second good thing, Bruce? Well, I was kind of going in the same direction. So, I, but you were talking about coaches' moves. I was just more or less going to talk about the play of the of the second, third, and fourth lines. For there was long, long periods in the second period and and large part of the third where the puck was locked into Arizona's end of the ice, and it actually didn't much matter which line was out there other than one line was able to put the puck in, in the net, and none of the other lines could do that, but they were able to control the puck, create chances, create shots. Zach Hyman, he was powering the puck towards the net all night and uh, and winning battles down low, and um, um, they, that line had you know lots of control, um, the third line with um, uh, with uh, McLeod and uh, Pugliarvi and Fogel. And, and Fogel, you know, they were running like 7-1 in Corsi on the night, right? They didn't play a huge amount, but they, you know, they, they gave up nothing. And they had the puck in, in uh, 
uh, under control for the most part. And that fourth line, as you say, they had a pretty pretty strong game uh, until very late. And uh, Sevier and, and, and Benson, they created a few chances uh, uh, that uh, they had a little bit of chemistry going between the two of them that uh, I really thought Benson was going to finally score on, on a couple of plays, but uh, he also could not solve the red-hot Scott Wedgwood. But uh, uh, for just extended, I'll get into this a little bit more in my number, but uh, Edmonton just so controlled sort of the middle 40 minutes of that game that uh, they were, you know, fully, fully, fully deserving of the win, even as it got pretty tense and they actually wound up needing a couple of big stops uh, from Koskinen in the late going of it from a game that should have been home and cooled out, but... Fortunately, they had built a, a sufficient enough lead that they were able to, uh, you know, on second of back-to-back with travel, um, they probably might have had a bit of an energy dip after they made it 4-1. and It got a little tense, but uh, they they played very, very strongly up until then, and I thought all the forwards in particular had a, had a, uh, had a pretty good night uh, with these exceptions that... We'll talk about. I have a complete non sequitur here, Bruce. Yep. Just looking at Drysdale and McDavid's scoring numbers to see where they're at right now, and mm-hmm. I noticed something just that popped out at me, and I got to mention it. The, guess who the fourth leading scorer in the NHL is right now? Nazem Kadri. Oh yeah, he's been red hot. In games and twenty-five points. Yeah, he's been pouring it on, filling the net. Out of nowhere. He's on the power plays, he's getting, he's got uh, power play points nine, so nine of the 25. So good for him. All right, my, um, I guess he, I, this should, might put him in the run to be on Team Canada at the Olympics. Um, well, he, uh, elements that they would want to have somewhere on the team. If he can oh. keep things under, under control. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the <clears throat> guy for sure. That is. But it's pretty hard to overlook the fourth leading scorer in the NHL, who's a good two-way hockey player and rugged. So, um, Chris Russell is my second good thing, Bruce. He had his best game of the year easily. Mm-hmm. He uh, three block shots, um, three hits. He led the team, led the, the defenseman in time on ice, led the defenseman in time on ice with twenty-two forty-six. Yeah. He he was the number one left shot demon. I thought it might, and Broberry was close in the amount yes. of ice time he got. So yep. he he went with a Tippett and Playfair went with the top four, and then the bottom pairing of Lagasin and Bouchard got a lot less time at even strength. So it was all pretty even, but Russell did get the most time on ice, and he was out there at the end of the game. And, um, man, early in the year, I was thinking he was done. Like, he just, of course, he was he had been injured. And uh, you, you have to have patience with any player who's been injured. It takes time. And uh, he, he's now back to his solid self in the defensive slot. That was his best game. He's not the player he was, I think, in his first three or four, three years right. at Edmonton. I think, I think he's a little less than that. The last couple of years have been, um, you know, he, he hasn't been the slot defensive slot demon that he was in those early years. But he's still a very effective defensive hockey player. And man, is this is what you're going to need with Nurse out. Yeah. You need someone who could just shut it down on defense, and he can do that. So uh, uh, he's my pick. Oh, with Nurse, Nurse Keith, 
and Cuckoo out. Uh, he's the only guy left from the, the from the four lefties who started the season. Even as he was the number seven, a lot of nights in the press box, he's you know the only guy left with experience on the team. I mean, he's he's right there. I mean, Brovery had eight more seconds of even strength time. Like they really did split it. They had two main pairs at even strength, and they spotted in uh, uh, Bouchard and Laguson. Uh, as the third pairing, and Bouchard got a few extra shifts, I think. But uh, uh, Russell, for all that, you know, he's held together with uh, the proverbial duct tape and bailing wire at this point in his career. You know, he's had, he's taken so many uh, shots for the team over the years. This is his sixth year here. And I mean, how many times have we seen that guy uh, uh, take one for the team, as that old saying goes, like hundreds? And here at a time where they needed uh, a lefty to step up, he played basically 23 minutes last night and 23 minutes tonight. And for a 34-year-old guy that's as small as Chris Russell is, and you look at his stat sheet tonight, and he's plus two, three hits, three block shots. And I think, uh, uh, you know, reasonable uh, um, shot shares. And he did... um, uh, he came through. They needed him, and he came through. It's really great to see. And, and I think if there's one thing that like that the cult of hockey writers have in common, it's a and it's a it's an appreciation for players like Chris Russell and what they can bring to a team. And he has gotten a lot of criticism in Edmonton over the years, but I think we've always we've always seen his real value. And it's just nice to see because I I was worried that this was going to be a, a bad season for him that he really was past it. You see that sometimes with older players. Suddenly it's gone. And they are terrible. And so that's what I thought I saw with Russell in the first couple of games, like a shadow of his former self. But he's building up his game. He's playing better and better. And he looked like the Chris Russell of old tonight. So that was fantastic to see. What's your bad thing, Bruce? Yeah. I have to go with the, with the way Edmonton uh, didn't finish off this game. And I'll pick one of the goals because you're probably going to pick the other one. Yeah. Uh, but it went from 4-1 to 4-3, like I say, with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the bench, their job seemingly done, only not done. Uh, and I'll pick the 4-2 since I'm going first. And it was such a funky play. Like, you and I, you know, we kind of been arguing about who was all at fault. And to me, it was the whole play was absolutely a mess. Where no one was in their in their right spot, and the attack came in on the on the blue line uh, on Broberry's side, and he pulled up and he tried to um, uh, rather than fade back and let the forward take the point man. He he tried to one on one the guy who made a good pass across uh, where Tyler Benson. I don't know where he was, but he wasn't where he needed to be, and the pass went across. And the other two forwards, meanwhile, they're fading back to try and cover the front of the net. Uh, and CeCe, the right defenseman, moves over to the left side. And there's nobody covering the left point at all. And the left point is Jeff Chikrin. And, of course, the puck goes right to Chikrin. And he walks in, stick up basically in the rafters of uh, of uh, Gila Monster Arena there. And he uh, just unleashed a wicked slap shot and got tipped in front and Koskinen had no hope. It was, you know, just tipped into a tiny puck-sized hole, but it was one of those things that was either going to 
hit him or, or it didn't. Sevier wasn't able to take the stick of the guy in front. Uh, Turris, the right winger, who to me should be kind of thinking about the, the guy on the left point, he was deep in the zone, taking CeCe's man. CeCe rotated over to the left side, and it was, you know, it's... I'd love to, I would love to be a fly on the wall as the Oilers coaching staff, actual experts at hockey, were discussing and breaking down this mess of a, a defensive play. It would, I, I would be very informative because. And they may know, disagree. You see it one way. I see it one way. I, I, I bet you they would be laser focused. This is, you know, Tyler Benson, this is what you need to be doing in this situation. You know, and they had a bunch of young guys on the ice, let's face it, and, and Broberry, Benson, and, uh, uh, well, I guess the other three weren't. It's easy. But, no. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I just think sometimes plays are funky, mm-hmm. and your defenseman is going to end up at the point. So I don't fault Philip Broberry on that play. And the reason I don't is the player has the puck. Mm-hmm. If Broberry doesn't go to meet him, he's going to charge the net. Someone's got to block his way to the net. That's right. how it works. He's up there blocking his way, and he, but he doesn't want to be too aggressive because then he could get beat. So he's got to give him a little gap, and the player then passes it back. Broberry can't stop that pass. He's got to stop the passes down low, right? So I don't fault him. It's the next moment when that pass comes. What is Benson doing? And maybe there's something that was happening higher up the ice that I didn't see, but Benson's got to be on the trailer coming in there for that pass. He's got to be on Chikrin, especially because he's got to be aware that it's Jacob Chikrin. And he, to me, the, the main culprit by far, and it's not close, is Tyler Benson on that play, who otherwise, had, Tyler Benson had a really good game, his best game, other than that one play. But he's got to be on that player. Mm-hmm. CC went to cover a guy who was down low and could have got a very dangerous pass. He's got to go over there and cover. They've all got to rotate one, essentially. Sevier uh, and Turris are both covering their men down low. Sevier fails to make the play that allows the tip shot, which was a real tough play for Sevier to make, you know, frankly. So really, I, I think Tyler Benson is the the guy that, I don't know what he was doing, like he was pulled to the middle a little bit and he didn't see the other guy coming in and bam, he, that guy is wide open for a great shot and I saw that as Benson's man. So anyway, have another look, Bruce. The coaches on the Oilers may yeah. well agree with you or they may agree with me or they may disagree, like we're I'm- disagreeing. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, with each other even. I'd love to say I'd love to be a fly on the wall there because to me, like the three forwards and the two defensemen, none of them is in their position. So I mean, I know it's a rotation at a certain point, but that was a rotation to nowhere good, and the puck quickly wound up in the net as a result. The problem may have come a little loose, uh, higher up, like in the back check in terms of being just not coming back and getting on those guys on the back check. And, I, and I'll have, that's what I have to go look at it again because, you know, yeah. once once they're over the blue line, you're, you know, I think Broberry's hand is forced and then he's, but before then, like, so why is that? Like, why isn't anyone helping him with that forward right then and there? Why isn't, why isn't that forward getting back pressure? You know, why is he allowed to just stand there for a second and make a play? So that's probably the more apt question, actually, in the whole thing, and that's about what they might get at. And we can we can have another look ourselves and and hash it out. Yeah. So my bad thing, Bruce, is the the next goal where <laughs> I don't know what Logason and <laughs> I think that's that's a play where there's where the, it's going to get as every bit as much attention from the coaches. I don't know how many times like the puck went through Logason and R and H. 
two or three times. They were just slinging it around right through those guys, sieving in them with passes, with dangerous passes. And they weren't making the plays. Neither Logason nor RNH was making was making the play to shut him down, stop him, get on him. And uh, in the end, you just puck bounced around and they slammed it in the net. So the third Arizona goal was 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 really ugly as well. And um, should be a, you know it's probably a good time to really rip into them because they're all probably feeling pretty good. So now's the time to to. Uh, to rip into them and because you got everyone's feeling good enough that it, it won't be too crushing to hear boy you really sucked it on that play like what were you doing like what was going on there yeah Nuge overskated the puck in Arizona territory to begin with he had full control of the puck and he looked around for a pass receiver and didn't uh, you know bobble the puck and and off it went the other way and then around Edmonton zone you know I might as well got the calliope music going and Lagason got a clear chance to 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 clear it, and frankly, I would have been fine with him just rifling it down the ice and taking the icing so they could get organized. And instead, he tried to cutesy it up the boards, and there was two guys there between them that picked it off. And then he just, he never got back into position to take the take the goal score. He he looked bad on that sequence to to my eye. <clears throat> He wasn't alone. I mean, again, it was it seemed like every sh- Arizona was pat- whipping passes across the slot. And if an oiler did get in the way, it would be to deflect it toward his own net as opposed to away from the net or actually, you know, make a play with it. And it just I was uh, I was not a happy camper watching it. I mean, they made it 4-1 a minute and 58 seconds later and it was already 4-3. Like, I mean, get it together, clamp it down, put it away. You know, don't <laughs> mess around. And they messed around. They, they did. They made it a little closer than it needed to be than it should have been. Yeah. But it, but you know, the good, the silver lining is it, it created the opportunity for the empty net goal, and uh, points for guys that you want to get some points. So I'm always in favor of that, Bruce. I always like to see that happen. Uh, I think Connor was trying to get it up to Leon, and Leon wasn't paying too much attention to the blue line because he expected he'd have the puck, and then he had to slam on the brakes and and do this amazing uh, recovery stretch to <clears> get <throat> the blade of his skate just barely touching the blue line to legalize his own entry, and uh, McDavid had to keep it for himself and score. But it was on one level an amazing recovery by Dreisaitl. But, um, you know, they, uh, uh, if they got the job done and they uh, got the puck in the net and we'll take the two points out of that game. And, and you got to, you know, you do have to give credit for them bouncing back from a tough game with no rest. Yes. And traveling to another city. And, you know, the letdown that they did have was after, you know, the game by right should have been put away and it just needed was a little bit too far from the finish line to be uh, forgetting about assignments. But it's, for so long in that game, Edmonton played so well that it's, you know, my, my, my harsh criticism of a few minutes is overwhelmed by my praise of a very long stretch of excellent hockey. And that is, that's true. All the players were mentioning, including Nugent Hopkins and Lagasin had very good games. Like it was a, it's a game where you could easily give everybody a seven. Like, um, a, you know, there's no one should be lower than a six. I think Kurt's grading the game, so I bet you there's lots there of there'll be lots of lots of good grades from that. Lots game. of sevens, some eights, and some some, some nines, and 
so. maybe even a 10. I don't know. 15 sure. Major contributions to 15 grade A shots, Bruce. Oh. That's getting to be 10 country. Mm-hmm. Uh, four points. All right. Um, what's your number? My number is 20. Uh, and this was the number of consecutive uh, grade A shots that the Oilers produced in this game from late in the first period, uh, just before McDavid tied it up, the Oilers had the last four grade A shots in the last six minutes of the first. They had all seven grade A shots in the second frame and the first nine in the third period, nine nine in a row up to uh, the 4-1 goal, and then a few seconds later, Benson had a great chance off a, a terrific play by Sevier behind the net, and I thought Benson might get his first, and we're gonna, you know it's going to turn into a laugher at the end. This was just before. The Arizona had the next four uh, dangerous chances in a row, including two goals and two good stops after the two goals. Um, but 20 in a row, like, have we ever seen the like? No, I don't think 20 so. 20 in a row? 20 in a row? Yeah. So yeah. I was scoring this game because you were, what, playing hockey tonight? But Just anyway, practice, yeah. Okay. Yeah, anyway, I was scoring this game, and but you've already betted it, and it's, it's, I'm not making it up. Like the, It was just like the ice just got totally tilted into uh, Arizona's territory for about basically 40 minutes, from six minutes left in the first to six minutes left in the third. I love a game. I love a game from the order. They really did rebound. Bruce, uh, I'll go with my number is 10 and 2, which is now mm-hmm. Costin's one loss record, 10 and 2. And he's doing that with a 908 save percentage. So he's like that pitcher in baseball who's got the 10 and 2 one loss record, but uh, he's got an earn run average of like 403 mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. He's, 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 um, He's let in a, a fair number of goals now. Uh, his save percentage is 908. I think that's, you know, that was his mediocre season. He was at 908 that, that, uh, in, 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 it, like he had the the good year and then he had a mediocre year or, or was it the first year that he was at 908? First year he was, yeah. He was yeah. So that's kind of like he was kind of iffy that first year and then he came on. So mm-hmm. three meter man, um, he's getting the wins. And he's making some big saves as well. Um, we don't generally work out their save percentage on grade A shots. Again, mm-hmm. uh, we kind of overlook that. We have the data. We could probably do it if we wanted, but we just never do it. But um, he hasn't. He he's out. He's been a he's been a good goalie. Like he didn't outplay the other goalie tonight. That would be pretty hard to do. But he came up with some big saves and uh, got the win and he's been doing that consistently all year long and it's interesting you know this partnership of Skinner and Koskinen and uh, losing Smith is a huge blow but they're they're mm-hmm. they're getting it done they're not they're not caving in the Oilers single-handedly from this one position and they're having more I would say generally speaking they're having more good games than bad probably two good games for every one bad game so or maybe even three three to one so that's that's okay now, the knock on Koskinen, uh, I've heard Jason Greger sure. citing this a couple times lately, is uh, that um, uh, he's susceptible more to sort of what we call a grade C chance. What uh, what um, yeah. 
Natural Statric calls the, the uh, low danger chances. He's let in more goals on low danger chances. Last year, the most in the league, and this year, the second most, I think. Those outside so shots. It's, it's the nature of the goals that he's giving up as opposed to the number that's upsetting people. I mean, he let in that one atrocious goal in Winnipeg, and uh, <clears throat> some people were saying, that's it, I've had enough of this guy. And I'm sort of going, well, you know, he's 9-2. and two. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Playing, you know, with their number one's been out since the first week of the season, and the team's getting along not too bad. And, uh, you know, like he's not perfect. Well, there's not too many perfect players on this team. Um, and, you know, a lot of nights he does get the job done. And tonight, like he had no chance on either the 4 2, which was tipped right in front of him, or the 4 3, which was also tipped by Nugent Hopkins right in front of him into the top of the net. And then he faced a couple of pretty dangerous shots from the slot down the stretch, and he uh, he delivered there. So, you know, he he wasn't the difference in the game, but those say, you know, one of those goes in, and we're crying the blues. Potentially. Yeah. Alrighty, Bruce. So they play Saturday night is the next game at Vegas. Oh, Vegas. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. So we'll this see how those, sorry, we'll see how those three left shot D men positions hold up. I don't know how long Keith is out for. We do know that Nurse and, and uh, um, Cuckoo are out for two to three weeks apiece, I think. And so they won't be back on the road. They didn't go on the road trip. I don't know if Keith went home. There's, there's not been a whole lot of information going on about. Uh, yeah, there never is. So, I mean, it's very possible that he didn't play tonight because it was the very next day, and he just wasn't quite able to go. And maybe he will be on Saturday. But have to say, surprised. yeah. Well, we'll see. I've really liked Broberry and Cece. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, they they've, they've been as solid as Keith and Cece were. You know, it's just a very small sample size and. And Broberry had a bad moment tonight where he misplayed a two-on-one. Mm-hmm. Reminiscent of the way er- early last year, Adam Larson misplayed a two-on-one exactly the same way and never did it again. So hopefully Adam Broberry, Philip right. Broberry, excuse me, Philip Broberry will do exactly the same thing and never do it again, just like Lar- uh, Larson. But uh, I've liked those two together. They've looked good. You know, that that's it's been very uh, heartening to see Broberry's play. You know, again, as in all things Oilers, there's lots of criticism of that draft pick. People thought the Oilers should have taken a forward, one of one of a number of forwards, and some mm-hmm. of them are doing pretty good. And some of them have been kind of up and down. Right. But, you know, ever since I've seen Broberry play myself, I've been okay with the pick. Like, maybe they could have done better. I'm not saying that that's not the case. But in terms of this player, what they mm-hmm. have with this player, I've always thought this player has a ton of potential. He looks like a he could be a really good NHL player. So it's nice, it's gratifying, you know, having that thought in my head to see that panning out with, with him playing pretty good hockey in his first three games. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, I'll say the same thing about him as I do about players that come in in unpopular trades. The player didn't make the trade. Philip Rover did not pick himself in the draft, right? It's not his fault that he's not Trevor Zegras. No matter how much you might think, well, they should have took Zegras. I think they should have took Zegras. Look how great Zegras is doing. Man, I, I really hate this Rovery pick. It's got nothing to do with the kid himself and what he's doing out on the ice. And 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 
to be on a happier note, I've been hearing very positive things about him from uh, uh, from across the orlogosphere who generally have a soft spot for kids once they get once they can see him. Start yeah. Play. When, you know, when Zegras was scoring points from Anaheim and Broberry was buried in Bakersfield, well, grumpiness ensued. But now that we're actually seeing the player, I think uh, I think there's a lot more positive uh, thoughts in, in his direction in terms of uh, what he might bring to the Oilers' equation. And that's what gave me the positive thoughts all along. Like we had, we we subscribed to that Instat service last year, and mm-hmm. we saw him play a lot in Sweden. So we were we had something that other fans weren't seeing. You know, they they never saw him, so they couldn't really tell. Well, now you can tell and make up your own mind. And right. uh, so this doesn't surprise me. Actually, something about his game does surprise me. He's a lot calmer now. Yes. He's a lot. He like when he was at his best in Sweden, he was playing a pretty dynamic game, uh, rushing the puck, moving the puck, and that led to some more spectacular errors and sometimes right. a loss of confidence. And sometimes he would go into games and look like in the games where he wasn't asserting himself. He wasn't able to play a safe game and play it well because he just would he looked like he lacked aggressiveness and they would um, go around him and you'd be wanting more. I'm not wanting more from Philip Broberry right now. I just like what he's doing. He's just taking care of business in a calm, steady way. And that's something that I didn't see. Uh, I didn't see before with him. It's like Samarukov, like he had the reputation for being kind of up and down, inconsistent. And then suddenly last year he was really consistent in Moscow and. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that translates into Bakersfield and Edmonton uh, at some point this year as well. So, yeah, it's nice to see that that calmness in Broberry's game. He's really he's playing a mature game, and I like it. Well, tonight when he was on the ice at even strength, which was uh, 20 minutes, uh, shot attempts were 25 for Edmonton, 7 for Arizona. So, clearly the puck was in the right direction. I would say very unlucky to be... Uh, one four two against on the goals front based on that flow of, flow of play, and you might pick apart his involvement in in those plays, but the, the general flow of play with him out there was fantastic. Excuse me. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there for tonight. Thanks for right. talking. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Mm-hmm.